Welcome to the Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. Today's episode is part of a special summer series discussing the stories of women found in Scripture. This week's conversation is hosted by Dr. Lynn Coet and Serene Musselman. Join us as we debunk common myths, explore important themes, and discuss the relevance of these women's stories for our faith today. All right, Alabaster Jar listeners, this is Serene here. I'm joined with our host, Dr. Lynn Kowick. It's so fun to be in this special summer series where we are looking at women in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And this is a companion series to Lynn's course on Seminary Now, which you can go and check out if you want to go deeper into the topics that we are talking about. So Lynn, I can't wait to dive into today's conversation. Uh, would you let our listeners know who we are talking about in today's episode? Yes, absolutely. And Serene, this is just a lot of fun. And for part of this series, we're going to be joined also by Carmen Imes, who's an Old Testament professor, because I felt like, you know, as important as the New Testament is, and of course, you know, I, I would say that, oh, there is this other like three quarters of the Bible. <laughs> that has some women in it too, right? So (laughs) Carmen Imes and I are going to dive into and actually look at women um, in the Old Testament as they also kind of help us understand women in the New Testament. So that'll be exciting. So yes, this is is our summer fun uh, time, just looking at these uh, biblical women. Yes, absolutely. And if you missed those episodes with Carmen, we already have a couple of those up. So go back and check them out. Um, she kicks off our series for us, um, looking at Eve and Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's a, some great episodes that we've already posted. So go check those out. They are part of the same series. So Lynn, take it away. What, who are we talking about this week? Yeah, thank you. So we're going to look at uh, Jairus's daughter and the hemorrhaging woman. It's two different stories, but they're packaged together in the Gospels where you you start the story of the woman with the flow of blood who seeks healing from Jesus. Uh, that's, that's in the middle of this story of uh, a father who is desperate about his uh, daughter's health. And so anyway, these two separate episodes are woven together in the Gospels. And just as a as an aside, as we're reading the Gospels about anything, it's really important that you look at the flow of the narrative because although we'll isolate just in these stories because of constraints of time and all of that, as you're doing your own study in the Bible, take a look at what's mentioned before. So for example, we look at Mary and Martha, that story in Luke, right before that, he talks about the Good Samaritan. It's not by accident that Luke is developing a picture of what discipleship is. And he uses both the Good Samaritan and then also a a reflection on Mary and Martha. And so we want to always look at the context, even as we uh, explore the lives of these important biblical figures. So, yeah, so we're looking at two daughters today, uh, two daughters woven together their stories here in the Gospels. Uh, Jairus, this father of a young girl um, who 
needs healing. And then the woman who's not named, uh, but is identified as a daughter, um, both of these women are healed. So that's, that's what we're going to look at uh, today. That's so helpful. I love the common themes that you're pulling out there. So when we read these stories, and if you go back and listen to some of our other episodes, you might have already picked up on this theme. There are often myths that come out over time as we've read these stories throughout history. Um, sometimes myths come to the surface that influence the way we read their stories. So before we uh, jump into maybe some of the themes that we want to talk about today, um, what are some common myths that you have noticed that come up when we talk about Jairus's daughter and the hemorrhaging woman? Yeah, thank you. Well, I'd say one big myth is uh, this idea of impurity being connected with sinfulness. It is not immoral to be impure, right? So the hemorrhaging woman is not a sinful woman. It's not immoral to be impure. Um, it's This is incredibly important for women at the time of Jesus. If you are menstruating, you're not sinful. Uh, but you are impure. And that means that there are certain spaces, those sacred spaces that are not accessible to you at that time. The whole construct of the temple in Jerusalem was this uh, sense of less sacred spaces moving towards more sacred spaces. And of course, the most sacred is the Holy of Holies. So menstruating women or... Um, men and women that had leprosy or various skin diseases or um, rashes or um, sores that, that oozed, whatever. They, they were not sinful, but they were restricted. And I would say also, um, even the perfectly legitimate uh, marital act, uh, if I could say, in the ejaculation of semen, rendered the man, the husband, impure until sundown. So it's not just women who were ritually impure at certain times doing just basic normal human activities. So I think we need to keep that in mind. We're so, we so often label women as sinful uh, in the biblical text and, and to be impure for reasons like the flow of blood is simply not uh, to be seen as sinful. I think the other myth that this, uh, that often gets tied into understanding this, uh, the, this story or these two stories is that somehow, uh, Jairus is, uh, is a aberration, uh, of a typical Jewish man. By that, I mean, the myth is that, uh, Jewish men really didn't care about their daughters. They just wanted sons. And that's a very unfortunate um, anti-Jewish uh, Christian myth. Um, it's, in fact, Jewish families had very high regards for their daughters. Um, what happens sometimes is that Christians go in and they cherry pick an isolated text from later rabbinic material, and they use that totally out of context to say that Jewish men didn't like um, didn't like their daughters or were misogynists or that kind of thing. And one 
uh, particular statement that's often used is a claim from uh, Rabbi Eliezer, who says, whoever teaches his daughter Torah, it is as though he taught her sexual licentiousness. Well, that's that has been misunderstood to indicate that uh, Jewish families didn't train up their daughters in the law and all of that. But that, that's just not what's being talked about here. The, the conversation was about um, doing good deeds and balancing those against bad deeds. Um, and so if a woman did a lot of good deeds, she might think, oh, I have enough good deeds to kind of balance my act of adultery. <laughs> and it, it's kind of a uh, it's a different way of thinking about uh, sin than what evangelical Christians do, but it has nothing to do with the devaluing of daughters. In fact, we know that uh, families, fathers and mothers, would give deeds of gift to their daughters, which is kind of like an inheritance, it's just a different way of doing inheritance. So those would be two of the myths. We just want to uh, take out of the room when we begin the exegesis of these uh, passages. I think what you're sharing there is a really important reminder for me and probably for our listeners as well that we need to approach writings that are from a different time period than our own, a different culture than our own, reflect different religious practices than maybe what we're familiar with, with a lot of humility and care, uh, because these myths are really, uh, as you were listing them, seem to come out of just a misunderstanding of culture and religious practices that we're less familiar with. And so it's a good challenge uh, to me to be careful when I read these texts um, so that if I'm teaching them, or sharing them with someone else, I'm not perpetuating <laughs> these myths um, by accident, just simply because maybe I didn't take the time or just didn't understand the context of what we're reading. So thank you for sharing that, Lynn. Um, so what are some common themes when we do read the stories here that we should be paying attention to um, that are jumping out as we read the stories of Jairus's daughter and the hemorrhaging woman? Right, right. And I'm, I'm looking at... Uh... Luke chapter 8. So that's, that's the passage that we'll be, uh, taking a look at there. And Jesus, um, has this man, uh, Jairus, who, uh, pleads with him, come to my house. Uh, my daughter is so ill. Uh, she's dying. And so Jesus is on his way. And while he's going, um, and crowds are pushing in on him and, you know, he's, he's moving through. I kind of feel like, you know, you're at a busy airport and you're dragging luggage and, you know, everyone's, uh, squished together and all that. And then in the, in this moment almost, you kind of like freeze frame, this woman reaches out and touches Jesus. And it's like the action just stops. Um, so let, and, and so let's focus on that woman and then we'll get back to, uh, Jairus's daughter. Um, so the, um, this woman, um, first of all, we know that she has spent many years and much money trying to be healed. She is in a state of, um, of, uncleanness because of her flow of blood. Um, but I, I want to, to suggest that, um, she's 
in this crowd and no one is alarmed by that. Even when they hear her story, they're not alarmed at themselves. They're not feeling like, oh, you know, I might catch her disease. Um, you know, she she's not a social outcast. She's not rejected. She's not scorned. Um, she's it, it, she's sick. She needs help. Um, so anyway, I think that's just important to note. Um, we, we also need to realize just how someone becomes unclean from another person. So sometimes uncleanness can be, um, transmitted, if you will, to a bed or a stool. You can read all about this in Leviticus. Um, but, but there is sometimes when you touch a, touch an unclean person, you become unclean. Sometimes the stool or the bed that they use is unclean. And if you touch that bed or you touch that stool, then you become, uh, unclean. Um, then, so there's those kinds of rules. Well, when we look at the woman, she's not a menstruating woman, but she probably has this vaginal discharge. Um, in Leviticus, we learn that what she sits on or what she lies on, that becomes unclean. So she can make things unclean. And if somebody else sits on them, they, they need to just wash uh, themselves, uh, wash their clothes, wait till sundown. Um, but she's not, if, if someone just bangs into her, they don't, or jostle, you know, gets jostled and touches her. Uh, they're not unclean by bumping into her. And if she has washed her hands, then she is not transmitting uncleanness. She doesn't make Jesus unclean when she touches his garments. So the point of this gospel story is her desperate need for healing. Um, and the theme in this is faith. And Matthew brings this out uh, as well. It's like you, you just see her incredible faith um, and, and her then interaction with Jesus. So if we're going to think of what, what is this main theme with this woman, it's about faith. Um, and, and that's what we want to focus on. And Jesus's question to her you know, who has touched me, uh, you know, this, uh, someone's touched me, the power has gone out. That's not to shame her in any way. It provides for her an opportunity to testify, to demonstrate publicly her faith because she did, she showed agency. I want to get better. This is the man who can heal me. And so she testifies to that. Um, when I, when I look at this, uh, story, um, and I think about our own, uh, culture and how we look at chronic health conditions. Um, I feel like at times, and I'd love your thoughts on this, Serene, um, we tend to kind of shame the person that has these chronic health. And especially if it's women, we just don't, we just kind of think, well, women always complain about their health. They're not strong enough, uh, or whatever it is. But here we have an example of a woman who has worked for 12 years, shown agency for 12 years, and nobody can fix her um, except Jesus. And she shows that incredible faith to make it happen. That's what this text says. How do, how do you feel, Serene, that this could be lived out 
you know, in our churches and in our communities, in our families, you know? Hmm. Well, as you were describing that, I think what struck me is that Jesus saw her, believed her, responded to her faith in a positive way. And sometimes as women, I I think there can be a sense that we're not only sure if we're going to be believed when we say that we are in pain or we are sick or we've been harmed in some way. It's almost as if just telling the story isn't enough. We also have to prove that we are as sick or as in pain as we are or that we really have been harmed in some way. And that's come out in research, uh, just even in, um, you know, how we feel as women going into the doctor's office uh, to share that something is happening. So um, I'm really inspired by Jesus's response to her faithfulness. He turned to her, gave her his full attention, believed her, responded to her faith. And so I think he sets an example for us, first of all, of how we can approach God, um, because I want to be careful not to put myself in the Jesus Jesus's character in the story, but in her character of how I can approach God um, and how God responds to my faithfulness, but also how we can learn from Jesus's example to respond to others when they come to us and share their story of hurting or pain or sickness. So, yeah, I I see a lot of practical applications in this story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That That's very, uh, yeah, that, that's really good. Um, you know, as we uh, think about um, all, this whole story and we've spent some time thinking about it, I also wonder, so what is... Jairus thinking, Hmm. you know, as like, come on, Jesus, come on, you know, my, my kid's sick, let's get going, you know? And, um, yeah, uh, that was kind of another, I, I'm the impatient one. I don't know if he's impatient. I may just be imposing my own thoughts on this, but you know, as the story unfolds, sometimes I have my own timeline. I want Jesus to, uh, come alongside, (laughs) Absolutely. And, uh, and, but, you know, we say God's timing is perfect. And I believe that I just don't always live it. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's really hard when, and I don't even think it's necessarily impatience. There's just a sense of urgency when it's someone that you care about personally, like, sure. Okay. This woman in the crowd needs your attention too, but it's my family member. It's my, my person that I want you to come and pay attention to Jesus. And so, um, yeah, there is a good picture there of, um, what it looks like to have to submit to God's timing when there is that sense of urgency that isn't necessarily sinful or wrong. I think it's right to care for and advocate for other people in our life. But then there's that place where we just have to wait on the Lord to respond. And more often than not, it seems like it's not on my own timeline. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so both the hemorrhaging woman believed and was and it demonstrated that it um, in touching Jesus and being healed or touching his his garment um, and Jairus is is told don't be afraid just believe and she'll be healed and that's in fact what happened and his daughter uh, rises up off of her uh, sick bed her deathbed and uh, you know it, it's Jesus performs this miracle of restoring life to uh, I always think of Lazarus, and it is, it's a big story, especially in the Gospel of John, the way John presents it. But Jesus also cares about families. He raises this girl for her family, and he restores 
the widow of Nain, her son. Uh, so there's no, uh, there's nobody who is unimportant in, um, uh, in, in the eyes of God uh, in this. And she's the daughter, the young daughter is restored to her family. And I assume she grows up and has a family of her own. So yeah, it's, um, it's a wonderful story that emphasizes faith and uh, uh, amongst the you know followers of Jesus and his incredible compassion towards women. So, yeah. Thanks so much, Lynn. It has been so helpful. And I we've covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. Listeners, if you want to hear more from Lynn on the stories of Jairus's daughter and the hemorrhaging woman, this is episode four in her Seminary Now course on women in the New Testament. So go and check that out. And we'll see you back here next week as we continue this series. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you, Serene. You've been listening to another episode of The Alabaster Jar. If you enjoyed this week's conversation, please subscribe, share, and plan to join us again next week as we continue this special summer series. To explore further the topics and stories discussed in this week's episode, check out Lynn's Seminary Now course on Women in the New Testament and Carmen's Seminary Now course on Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. We've included links to both of those courses in today's episode description.